You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We said it yesterday. It might not have been the best, but we were going to watch it. And there was a lot on the line in that Thursday night football game, and it came down to the very end. One of us may have flipped the channel over at 29 to nothing to the Sex and the City reboot and been Ooh. just as depressed by how the game had turned as she was by the first two episodes of In Just Like That. Don't watch it unless you want to be really bummed out. But I came back to Thursday Night Football. It was a close one, and if not for the peanut punch of Harrison Smith, it could have gone a totally different way. It's got a lot of people talking today, including us. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on a Friday on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And last night's Thursday Night Football between the two teams and what it meant for them, between Chase Claypool at the end, uh, between the – Holes on that Steelers defense, it had a lot of people talking, and it's going to be Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. I'm starting there, Fitz. That first half, you know I watch the Bears every single week. I have not seen a defense look like that in so long. The holes, the the, the I think it was six and a half yards before contact average for the Vikings running backs. I mean, it was unbelievable that first half. Yeah, okay, so we'll get to that in a second, but you're burying the lead here. How was the Sex in the City reboot? Like, is it really worth it? depressing? Like, that, well, I don't yeah, want to give and, any spoilers, but I, I cried uh, in but, both of the first two episodes, and it made me deeply okay. unhappy. I was actually gearing up. I was like, you know what? I'm going to buckle up and I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch this. And then I heard about the episode one. I'm not going to give anything away. I will say one company's stock was down at one point today, 11% because of this episode. So <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it, 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 it was ripping hearts out. So not worth it or worth, like, if I don't want to cry, stick I should watch it. I'm with it because I'm actually sort okay. of impressed that they certainly didn't, like, start it off the way you would expect. And they didn't take it easy on you. And they didn't, you know, it was like, whoa, we're going to smack you in the face with reality. Everyone's old. Let's just repeat that as many times as possible. Like the number of times in the script where it's like, well, I'm a 58 year old man now or I'm 55. And it's like, we get it. You're old, oh, which means so are we. It's, it's like bad sitcom writing. Not that this is, but bad sitcom writing where they're telling you in the first episode all the backstory by just conveniently reminding you. It's like, well, you know, I used to be this and that. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. get it. But uh, get all right. It. So we'll get to the game, which, right. by the way, I felt like we had really good analysis on for a long time because it wasn't much of a game. And I was like, well, this is the trash heap I expected. But you're right. Dalvin Cook coming out and playing as well as he did in this game and having the yardage that he had, especially in the first half, they were going to have to keep him clean because he's wearing the shoulder brace. And all I kept thinking is there's no way he's going to take some hits. The good mm. news for him is he didn't have to. The, right. the line play was, I mean, that was the most stunning part of it. The, the absolute domination of a Pittsburgh defense for three quarters of a game that looks as good as Pittsburgh defense has at times. We asked Courtney Cronin yesterday, how would the Vikings line hold up? Well, we got an answer in the first half that the holes were what they were creating. There was no holding up. There was hole making. Yeah, 100%. And, and then what was strange was, of course, that the Vikings had to Vikings it. And in the second half, those holes somehow disappeared. They only had an average of, I think, 1.5 yards before contact on the rush. They also only blitzed 
Ben Roethlisberger 13% of the time on his dropbacks after going 38% in the first half. They abandoned what was working with them. They they did prevent offense, prevent defense, and they nearly blew it again. And and that's why today on Around the Horn we were asked, did we significantly change our opinion of the Vikings after this game? The Steelers I was already out on, but this made me feel worse because even though they did come back, and Ben Roethlisberger had some really excellent passes, including a game-winning touchdown pass that if not for Harrison Smith was right on the money. But I- I'm still out on the Steelers. What I saw, especially in the first half, was such an abomination that they're not going to do anything. The Vikings, people said, well, they ended up winning the game and they showed they can finish. Did they, though? Did they show they could finish, or did one player in Harrison Smith make one very well-timed ball punch? Because, to me, this made me feel significantly worse about a Vikings team that was already in every single game up to this point. This was just yet another game, and this time they managed to to, to have you know enough time on the clock run out that they didn't have to make more than one good defensive play. If Stosh doesn't uh, cut one good ball punch out, then I'm disappointed. <laughs> uh, you know, the other part of this, obviously— is Chase Claypool, and it's what everybody's been talking about all day. He gets a big catch uh, as t- as the clock is running, takes a second to celebrate. It raises a lot of questions about, you know, situational awareness. It raises questions about putting the team uh, uh, ahead of your individuality, all of those things. But it also raises questions for the Steelers in general about what to do with players that may not be playing well or players that may not understand situations. Mike Tomlin, the Steelers head coach, was asked after the game about benching players, and he had an interesting response. We will not be bashful about turning the stones over. When you say not be bashful, does that extend to the coaching staff at this point? What do you mean? mean, A coach hadn't made a play, sustained a block, made a tackle. I know I hadn't in a long time. Man, that's a totally that's a valid question. That's a statement. It, it, it's a valid question. If you're saying, listen, we're not going to be bashful about turning over any stone to figure out why we're not the team that we should be, then coaches should absolutely be in the mix. And he sort of scoffed at it and may, acted like he didn't know what she meant. Oh, the, the, the coaches aren't the ones playing. Maybe because he was specifically speaking about Claypool. Claypool, you know, there was a missed block. There was earlier play. There was this one where he, you know, he tried to play it off like it was defender's fault, but the defender knew the situation and was trying to slow them down, which was the right move. And if Claypool hadn't signaled for the first down and taken that extra beat, he wouldn't have been in a position for someone to try to nab the ball from him. So he really doesn't have an excuse. At the same time, though, Fitz, I want to point out, Claypool alone did not give up a 29-point lead. He is an easy mm-hmm. target right now, but he's not the reason they were in that position, and he's not, you know, in the end, though, that play, did it cost them a couple seconds they could have used elsewhere? Yeah, and that's something that they need to talk about, particularly because, unfortunately for him, he's already made news asking for, you know, music at halftime or at, at practices and things like that, which makes him easier for people to attach to to say he's a bad dude and he's not focused and he's thinking about the wrong things, and I don't know if we can get all that from that one play. Yeah, we can't, and you're right. I think – that that game said as much about the Vikings and their ability to fall apart consistently this season as it did about the Steelers and their inability to play up to the level that we think they should be capable of so often. I, I mean, I'm still out on both teams after Thursday night football. At least we got a little drama down to the wire, though. That's the yeah, only good thing. Absolutely. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. That was the Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. As that game is running down to the end and, you know, we're analyzing the the Harrison Smith play and, and Claypool and everything else, there was some tragic breaking news that came right in the middle, and that was Demarius Thomas's passing. Just 33 years old, would be 34 
uh, in just a couple days, and it came out of nowhere. It fits. Uh, th there's a belief that it was an existing medical condition. One of his family members has spoken about seizures recently, but plenty of information yet to come out about just what happened to Demarius Thomas. The Broncos are going to honor him before Sunday's game against the Lions, and lots of his former teammates have been speaking out since the news came out last night. Uh, Harry Douglas was on KJM this morning filling in and, and had this very thoughtful thing to say about Demarius Thomas. He was just a, a a guy that was so gracious, so loving, so caring. Big physique, mm. but had a heart of a giant, man. You know what I mean? Would, 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 would give a shirt off his back for anybody. And he was just so mild-toned. He was cool, calm, and collected, but a great human being. Because, you know, a lot of people out here aren't great human beings. Demarius Thomas, we call him Bebe, was a great human being. You sacrifice so much as a kid, as a teenager, while you're in college, to get to a professional level so you don't get to do everything that everyone else gets to do. So when you're done playing a sport that you've dedicated your, a lot of your life to, that's supposed to be the fruit of the labor. Like you, You're supposed to live the way you want to live, do all the things that you couldn't do probably as, as a youngster or in college or while you was playing, right? That, those are the times that you, you, life's supposed to be really beginning. Yeah, and not only is that the case for all football players, but Demarius Thomas in particular had a childhood fraught with with drama and and pain. His his mother and his grandmother, uh, both in prison for drug trafficking. President Obama actually commuted the sentences of, of a bunch of nonviolent drug offenders when he was in office, and that included uh, his mother. And to get through all that, and to try to put together pieces of a family that had been so broken growing up, and then to have that time cut so short with this is is just particularly heartbreaking. I recommend you read a lot of the great profiles of Demarius over the years to learn more about him. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, Steelers Vikings kicked off our week 14, but there are a lot more really big games this weekend in the NFL. We're going to get into a couple of them next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, this, the monkeys. Did you know one of the members of the monkeys passed away today, Fitz? I did not. Which one? Uh, it was actually the one that I knew the least about in terms of his name. Um, I had actually randomly been to dinner when I lived in L.A. with Mickey Dolenz. And, of course, everyone knew Davy Jones. But Michael Nesmith, one of the piano players for the monkeys, yeah, uh, passed the, the away The tall today. guy, right? The really yeah. tall one. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Yeah. The quiet monkey is how he was known. Huh. Um, but died at 78. Uh, so shout out to the monkeys he and a bunch of their Mickey stuff. Dolans, he was like you know. one of the main people in the monkey. Wow. Well, well I mean, there was sad. only four of them, right? But maybe he was one of the one of the songwriters. Yeah, uh, like Mike, he wrote. Mickey uh, Dolan he wrote said a bunch he was of sort of the leader yeah. the whole time. Yeah. So maybe not as well known, but a big a big force. Uh, it's ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We talked earlier about how there are a wide range of important games in the NFL this weekend that will have impact on wildcard and playoff standings and on the way we see some of these teams. And one of those teams for sure is the Bills. The Bills are coming off that weird game against the Patriots. And depending on how you look at it, you, you either think it was demoralizing and proof that they just don't have it, or it was extremely weird game in extremely weird conditions, one that the Pats were much better suited to thrive in. That's how I feel. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean I think the Bills are going to thrive this week. They've had a good record in the past of not back-to-back uh, -back losses, but this time it's the Bucks that are on the schedule for them to try to contend with. And 
Fitz, there's some parts of this matchup that I think you could see how the Bills might be able to make good on it, but uh, this is also one where it could just dig that hole even deeper for Buffalo. Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about Buffalo, but I'm with you. I think what we saw on the Monday night snow game, uh, the, whatever we want to call that, the wind matchup, uh, what we saw there really limited any opportunity for Buffalo to have an offense, you know, and they took away what I thought could be as sort of X factor for him just in Josh Allen's ability to at least be mobile and sort of catch them off guard. So none of that was going to happen. I don't think we learned a lot about either team in that matchup without taking anything away from what the Patriots were able to do. There's for the Bucks. I mean, we're talking about at this point a Tampa Bay team that were almost being more quiet on this year than last year. It feels like, like even though they played as well as they've played, it doesn't feel like they have the same level of hype. So, you know, I feel like for the Bucks, they're just in cruise control. All they all they do is win. And if you're the Bills, you've got to find a way to actually string together some wins at this point. So uh, I'm concerned from the Bills uh, and and particularly what their pass defense is going to do against the Bucks. So let's see how that matchup plays mm -hmm. out. Yeah, especially with Dane Jackson, who's in for the injured Tredavious White. You know Tom Brady is absolutely going to try to target him. He's a smart player. So is Bruce Aarons. They're going to try to figure out ways to sort of expose uh, that that inexperienced corner. The the Bills, we've talked about this all season long, they have really issues uh, with balance, and this is not going to be the game for them to figure that out because the Bucks have the second-best uh, rushing defense in the entire league. They do blitz a lot, and they do have a pretty poor passing defense, though, so it's possible that Josh Allen could try to make some explosive plays, and it could be a shootout that ends going the Bills' way. The only good news for the Bills, even if they do lose this game, which I anticipate they will, is that coming up they've got the Pankers, uh, Panthers, Falcons, and Jets. Um, I like the and that to better. me, the Pankers, yeah, it's, uh, that, maybe if you put the Panthers and the Falcons together, they would have a, a, a chance at winning. Um, but yeah, I think that that at least means this isn't an all or nothing. At 7-5, and five, they are very much in the risky area of, of falling into the rest of the, the pack. But, you know, at least they've got a couple winnable games uh, coming up. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Ravens-Browns, another game that a lot of people have their eyes on. Mina Kimes talking about that matchup today. They need to have success through the air. Uh, the difference between yeah. then and now is the Ravens are even more banged up in their secondary. So banged up that John Harbaugh explained part of the reason why he went for two at the end of the last game against Pittsburgh was because he didn't feel he had the players, the defensive backs, to stop them through the air. The last time uh, the Browns and the Ravens played, Baltimore basically dared Baker Mayfield to throw. They stacked the box to do everything possible to stop the run. The run defense has actually been pretty solid. In my mind, if Mayfield can't have success through the air, beating Baltimore over the top, frankly, he's probably too hurt to be starting because hmm. that's going to be easy pickings. It's just a question of whether Cleveland can take advantage of it. Yeah, Fitz, this is a – go ahead – well, it's interesting to me that we've got teams that are facing each other. I mean, the Browns lost to the Ravens in week 12 and then get a bye week and now play the Ravens again. So they've mm -hmm. had a bye week to step back and say, okay, what do we do wrong and how do we fix it? So, you know, you would think that's advantage, but there's not going to be any dang offense in this game. I mean, uh, when you start talking about 20, 20 points or less in four straight games for the Ravens versus the Browns that have scored 14 or fewer in six of Baker's starts this year, five of the last six games – no offense in this thing happening at all. Well, and I think 
Mina's point is a good one. Like, it's not about what the Ravens are going to give. It's what the Browns are able to take. This is a team that's, you know, oh. offensively fourth in rushing, but 25th in passing. So even if the Ravens open it up and allow Baker to do his damage with his arm, they actually have to take advantage of that. And, you know, between injuries and, and everything else, we know that we're not seeing the Baker that he could be, but they don't have another option. This is their guy, and they're sending him out there. So um, this this is a big one. And as you just said, we saw them face each other. So this is a big one for coaches. You know that coaches are going to be a little bit more under the under the microscope if, you, if you've got an opportunity to go back-to-back with the same exact team. If you make the same mistakes, if you don't capitalize again, it's a lot more noticeable. Well, and and look, I know that Baker's not himself, but let's also be real. Like, the one team that you can't complain about any injuries or banged up players when you play is the Ravens. Because, like, their entire team has just been decimated with house money. Yeah. I mean, mean, we sometimes forget that we started the season with, like, wow, how are they going to do anything? Yeah, exactly. And and it feels like no matter who they put it running back, that person ends up lost for the year at some point. So, you 100%. know, if I'm the Ravens, I'm laughing when Browns fans come in and say, yeah, but Baker's <laughs> dinged up. It's like, OK, try our whole roster. The last game we're going to take a look at quickly here on Spain and Fitz is Niners Bengals. A lot of playoff implications there. Mina Kimes was uh, talking about that game, too. Well, I am really excited for San Francisco, Cincinnati. The AFC North is up for grabs, but the Bengals have to win this game to have a shot at taking it. And for me, the biggest mismatch uh, in this entire game is the Bengals wide receiver group versus a very banged up San Francisco 49ers secondary. So I will be looking to see if Joe Burrow with his injured pinky can take advantage of that because the opportunities (laughs) will be there if he can make those passes. I agree with that, and and I want to see the Bengals get better at anything. They're sort of middle of the pack in so many things. But I'm also more intrigued by what the Niners look like with Jimmy G coming on because all of a sudden he has been really effective in recent weeks. Yeah, that's the biggest key to me since week eight. He's second in total QBR in the league, but more importantly, he's first in yards per attempt in that same amount of time. So not only is his efficiency up, but the amount they're pushing the ball down the field is up too. Like this is a Jimmy G right now that looks confident, that looks cocky, that's not afraid to push push the ball down the field. I mean, I think the Bengals are going to have to really bring a way to slow down the passing attack of the 49ers, which is kind of crazy to say, especially a week after they got really thrashed at times by the Chargers. So I, I think the 49ers have a real opportunity to score a bunch of points. And a funny narrative battle there, too, because it's sort of like, well, the 49ers are good even if Jimmy G doesn't do much for them. And on the other side, it's like, Joe Burrow is so great even if the rest of his team keeps letting him down. <laughs> it's like uh, we, we like to pick and choose who we uh, point the fingers at and who gets credit. Uh, that'll be a really fun one, too. We'll get into some other games from the weekend. There are a lot of good ones uh, a little bit later in the show. You can tune into a football doubleheader Sunday as the Panthers Ooh. host the Falcons, followed by the 49ers at Bengals game. Coverage begins at noon Eastern on select ESPN radio stations. Again, we'll get back to some of the biggest NFL matchups of the weekend. We'll also make our five uh, pick Friday picks in a little bit, but we got to talk some college football. Jim Harbaugh doing something no other Michigan coach has ever done, but our Fitz and I on board with him doing it. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It turns out Having Sarah Spain as your super fan not only leads to college football playoff berth, it also leads to <laughs> awards. That's what we figured out. It takes a little time. You got to simmer it. You got to you got to invest in the relationship. Years. But over time, it, it works. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. 
Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, you guys can hang out with us on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Protecting your business with specialized coverages for your commercial vehicles. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. All right. Jim Harbaugh has done something that has never been done before for the University of Michigan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. He has, he finally gets a recognition that he deserves as the coach of Sarah Spain's Michigan Wolverines. <laughs> He's the Associated Press co- uh, College Football Coach of the Year. This on the heels of the Wolverines getting their first Big Ten title in 17 years and a berth in the college football playoff. But it should be noted the second place finisher in that contest and also the winner of the Home Depot Coach of the Year is Cincinnati Bearcats head coach Luke Fickle. And Sarah, this is one of those times where as great as awards are for everybody to get, if either coach had gotten either, like, I'm good with it. It's one of those things where I understand the logic for Fickle being coach of the year. I understand Mm -hmm. the logic for Harbaugh being coach of the year and have no problem with either of them getting that acknowledgement. I agree. These teams were the least likely to to be in the playoffs. Michigan had a less than 1% chance to reach the playoff entering the season, 100 to 1 betting odds. Um, And the first team to make the playoff after starting the season unranked in the AP poll. They tied for the most wins, to your point, you know, 17 years and and all these things. And and the competition is better. The pressure is more. uh, All of that. Now, on the other hand, Luke Fickle led Cincinnati to do something that hasn't been done before in the relatively short history of the college football playoff. And the fact that their big accomplishment was a win over Notre Dame and then good good competition means that if he had gotten the award and he did get the Home Depot version of it, totally fine with that. So I'm kind of torn. Like, I could certainly understand that Cincinnati fans would be frustrated, but I think what was accomplished by Harbaugh on this Michigan team, clearly uh, completely unexpected. And because it's that one level higher than Cincinnati and, and, and you know, the group of five teams, that might have been the thing that, that nudged it over. Well, I mean, and we also entered a year where there were a lot of people that wanted to put Harbaugh on the hot seat, right? So to think that Captain Khaki has gotten himself from the hot seat to the coach of the year just reminds you how fickle the college football world is. You see what I did there? That was that was Yeah, pretty, nailed pretty it. Good, pretty good. Nailed okay, it. thank you so much. I, I really appreciate the acknowledgement on that. Also, by the way, I don't think anyone's Home ever Depot. made that joke using well, his name, so I'm like really well, proud of I, you. I'm that. nothing if not Should we call him original. And see you know, if he, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean and text him maybe you up. Anybody ever use this joke? Uh you know, by the way, I think Fickle wins here because the Home Depot uh, Santa Claus commercials have been fire this year. Okay. So that's, that's, that's reason the deciding enough. point. That's, I'm sure right, he would prefer to have the the salary, the job offers at the NFL level. You know. Well, I mean, Fickle also about to get paid when they go to the Big 12, <laughs> too. True. Not that he's not that's already. True. Now, speaking of coaches, things are a little bit uh, dicier for Clemson, who's not used to having a bunch of turnover. But now, Sarah, they have a ton of it because Virginia hired Tony Elliott, the Clemson offensive coordinator, to be their no, new head coach. Uh, around the same time that Oklahoma hires Brent Venables uh, to be their uh, to be their head coach, so uh, and and Clemson defensive analyst, uh, one of the Clemson defensive analysts on the staff, is now coming over to Oklahoma as the defensive coordinator. So we're seeing for the first time, really ever, a mass exodus of coaches under Brent, uh, or should say under Dabo, yeah, and yeah. you know you start thinking about what that means. Like it, we're used to this with Bama, and Nick Saban has shown he knows how to do this. This is a strange moment for Clemson to be rebuilding their entire staff. It is very strange. There are some hints at who might end up making a move up. Brandon Streeter, the quarterback's coach at Clemson, could replace Elliott as the offensive coordinator. Um, 
you know, Clemson senior defensive assistant Wes Goodwin could replace Venables. That could be announced as early as next week. Uh, there are some possibilities, but the question is, why are they leaving, right? Um, and is there any sort of feeling that potentially uh, Dabo is, is on his way out to one of these rumored jobs, including your Raiders? Uh, and how will this affect the recruiting class as well? Yeah, I, I you know, I got to think Venables makes sense because he has a, a past with Oklahoma it's a perfect job for him, and he gets paid just a you-know-what ton of money. Uh, so I can make sense of that. But, yeah, this this is definitely fueling the rumor mill about any possibility of Dabo going somewhere else. I believe it when I see it. I think Dabo has reached legend status at Clemson and can just sit, sit there and run it back over and over and over again. And the great thing is now – when you're at Dabo's level at Clemson, you can just wait for everybody around you to get raises, and you don't even have to call anymore. You just like you realize that every few years the school will be like, oh, well, if these guys are all making $10 million, we'll give you 12 And before you know it, five years we're going to blink, and he's going to be making you know, $15, 20000000 million a year. That just feels inevitable. But are you, again, uh, are you a fan of Dabo as the head man of the Raiders? No. No, I, you know, that was like not your jam. It's not that's not my it's not my cup of tea. I'm not sure how that would work in Vegas either. Just uh, personality wise, you know, by the way, mm-hmm. you can tune into a historic college football rivalry tomorrow. Army takes on Navy in MetLife Stadium. Coverage begins at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Sirius XM app free for most Sirius XM subscribers. Uh, also, hey, the Heisman coming quick. up. Can I yes. just point out something that we didn't we, we've kind of gotten away from because there's been some distance. But Dabo during. All of the conversations about race relations in America and everything else really stepped in it a number of times. And I don't know that you could follow up Gruden with the way that his tenure ended with another coach that players, particularly African-American players, might not feel is entirely on their side. I, I don't yeah, know well, how much that would even come to the forefront of the conversation, but it has not been lost on me that there were still some really uncomfortable things said and done by, by Dabo and some really pretty ugly and not very well done attempts at covering up for that and and not really apologizing but kind of apologizing Mm -hmm. and that's the sort of thing that you know it it haunts you when you go somewhere else because it will be brought back up but clemson is already you know clemson fans and clemson as a university is fine with it so you know right that's what i'm saying i don't know if you get to the raiders and a bunch of professional adult players particularly ones who are still (laughs) shaken by what happened with gruden are comfortable with that yeah, a thousand percent agree. Uh, by the way, it wasn't really that particularly close. Uh, Harbaugh, when he became the first to go back to that Michigan head coach to ever win AP Coach of the Year, I was surprised to see he won by a fairly substantial mm-hmm. margin. I didn't realize 103 total points. Luke Fickle with only 88. One more uh, big piece of college football news. Amazingly, Kenny Pickett, who's a Heisman finalist, the quarterback at Pitt that broke every one of Dan Marino's records this year. Kenny Pickett tried the fake slide that we all saw as a great highlight last week. It took the NCAA days to figure out that they're not going to allow that anymore, which, Sarah, makes a ton of sense because you can't handcuff defenders into not knowing whether a quarterback's going to slide or not. But it's also staggering to me that we all hate the targeting rule in college football, and they say they can't do anything about it quickly, but they can get this one figured out in a matter of, like, hours. Well, except for the fact that the targeting rule, in theory, is to help protect players, right? And so, in this case, again, it was about safety. This is going to be very hard to put into place in the moment. Not only is a subjective call, but it's really hard to do in that second. I would say that Pickett's probably the very like finest line of that was definitely a fake slide, but there's plenty other examples where it's going to be hopefully a little bit clearer. If it happens, it's pretty rare, but you can't, you know, Plashke argued today on around the horn that you would need to make it reviewable, that you would let the play continue on and then you would go back. But that puts defensive players in even worse position of, I guess I shouldn't go after him and hopefully they'll review it. 
and then the play's yeah. done and he's yeah. you know what I mean and and I think in the end it has become so difficult for defensive players to make plays on so many instances this would be yet another example where it's too late by the time you decide he's sliding if he then gets up you're already in the middle of a tackle uh, and I think safety wise as awesome as that play was and as sick as it was and as smooth as it was for him to do that without injuring himself or tripping um this kind of is is necessary uh, and I think the speed presumably is mostly about safety the most important thing out of it is so often we hear you know bloviating gas bags like uh, me as you uh, the phrase I've stolen from you yeah uh say oh my god that was a once in a lifetime play well right it is now because nobody can now. ever do it again. So <laughs> congratulations for Kenny Pickett becoming the one and only person to pull off the fake slide uh, because from now on, everybody that saw that and said, I'm going to work on emulating that, nope, can't do it anymore. So uh, obviously uh, that, that goes away. But still, spectacular work for him. We'll see how uh, that helps or hurts his Heisman case. Won't really have anything to do with this Heisman. We'll talk a little bit of Heisman next hour with an expert on it. But coming up, could a Ben Simmons for Dame Lillard deal be in the works? We'll get you an update from Woj next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. If the question is who let the dame out, the answer could oh, wow. be nobody. Spain and Fitz on oh, you ESPN don't even have Radio. Any kids. You're not allowed to I do mean, that. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that without any kids. I'm Annabelle so sorry. doesn't count. Like I got a I got a dog to dad joke okay, rules. Okay, okay, right. I'm going to leave you. those to Stosh. I I feel I felt strong about that one. That was off the top of my head too. Didn't even have to write it out first. Feel uh, pretty good about uh, that. She's Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. They're not proud of it either, though. After that joke, you can be part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation presented by Dr Pepper. You might not know this, but college football's back. So are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr Pepper. The one fans deserve. Uh, so fans have got their eyes in the NBA on what's happening for Dame. And whether or not he's going to be traded, because there's all sorts of conversation about are they going to find some way to do it. So we're going to get, we're going to break that down and more the only way we can on this show with some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. All right, let's start where I was with Dame and whether or not he will be traded. Woj always giving us the insight. This is what Woj had to say about Dame and his availability. The Blazers and Sixers connected in recent days, and you know Portland's interim GM Joe Cronin made it very clear to the 76ers: Damian Lillard is not available to be discussed in trade talks. They have no interest in moving him, and that Portland continues uh, will continue to try to build around Damian Lillard. Now, CJ McCollum is a player that Philadelphia uh, and Portland have discussed in recent months, but. Uh, that's not really been a priority for the Sixers. Uh, they have looked at other packages, and obviously McCollum, uh, we're waiting to see how long he's going to be out, the severity of that uh, collapsed lung. Yeah, we kind of knew that CJ was going to probably be a part of all of this. The question is around Lillard, and we've been kind of bandying about potential trades, places we could see him go because of that big extension coming his way. If people felt like there were enough changes around that team, new coach going to be uh, someone replacing Neil Olshie, who was just fired, uh, whether they were ready to just say, this hasn't worked. And I want to say CJ and Dame are only uh, one of four sets of players that have been together at least 10 years without a title, right? Usually you, you give up on a pair of stars and you try something else if it doesn't work. 
part of the reason, Fitz, we're talking about this right now is because a lot of the players signed in the offseason as free agents become eligible to be traded starting December 15th. So we're just five days away from 84% of the nearly 450 Golly. players under contract being included in deals. Uh, right now, it's only 65% to be eligible. So within that five days, all of a sudden, you open up uh, that whole big percentage of players that you might want to use to make some of these trades feasible. And I think that's why the focus is here. In addition to, of course, the Sixers maybe finally getting a little bit antsy about Simmons. Well, obviously, we expect Simmons to be on the block somewhere. And the curious thing to me is really going to be the statement that is or isn't made by moving Lillard. Like, if Lillard is still around, then uh, Portland has told us where they're going to be headed with it. In the meantime, we'll move to the next quickie. Quickies. And this comes in the form of a little Team USA basketball. As Pop is out, Steve Kerr is in. Steve Kerr from the Warriors has been selected as the next coach for Team USA on the men's side. Uh, I'm... I'm not surprised by this, and I think Kerr is a great selection. It's just a reminder of an end of an era because Pop uh, obviously has been doing this for a long time, and it feels like this is such a change. So this is going to include an all-new coaching staff that will include Suns coach Monty Williams, Heat coach Eric Spolster, Gonzaga coach Mark Few. So it is a all-star coaching staff, and a reminder that we're hitting a new new sort of chapter for Team USA as they get ready for the World Cup and then the 2024 Paris Olympics. Yeah, this just comes a couple days after the announcement that former, uh, uh, or sorry, that Minnesota Lynx coach and general manager Cheryl Reeve is going to be the next national team coach on the women's side. So there is this sort of new era. Don Staley, Gino, um, all the folks that are on the basketball board of directors and others who have kind of gotten Cheryl Reeve ready for that. Um, and I'm really enthusiastic about that. I think she's going to be she's going to be fantastic. You look at that, and then you look at at, at Pop and and and. Steve Kerr sort of taking over and it feels like you have to wonder if that's also going to be reflected in the positions uh, of players. Will there be sort of a new wave with new leadership in terms of who they think they want out there? There's obviously some very clear go-tos and on the men's side, a bit more complicated in terms of players who choose to put themselves in the pool for eligibility or not on the women's side. uh, A lot of it's more the politics of UConn's power and, and, and influence. Uh, but you, you'd think that Kerr might have a different view than Pop does about who he wants on there and who he wants to develop. Well, and this is the first big decision for Grant Hill that's now the managing director of USA Basketball. I think all of it speaks to a tone change, right? And, and there were some questions about the way the roster was assembled on the men's side by Pop. So uh, what style is Kerr going to go with and what favor will he have for certain players that he wants or certain players that want to play for him I think are all real and fair questions to be asking as we get ready for the Olympics and try and figure out what the next chapter looks like. Uh, another quickie for you coming in. Quickies. Uh, I, this is sort of a late-breaking news for us, but uh, Lakers' Anthony Davis ruled out against Oklahoma City uh, because of a sore left knee. So uh, mm. ruled out about uh, an hour before tip-off after getting some pregame treatment to see if he would feel well enough to play and I'm not sure that any one game has a ton of emphasis Sarah but also when we're asking all the questions we're asking about the Lakers and then you have a sore knee it is only going to make everybody perk up look over and say are things ever going to look right for this Lakers team this year yeah especially when we're coming off him kind of stating that the Lakers need to maybe do things differently and change their approach um it's probably frustrating for him to not be available to be on the court to help put that into action especially after you know the recent rant about uh, about him from Charles Barkley saying that he's part of the problem and he hasn't lived up to his, his status as, as, a, as a superstar. Um, 
this is only going to change over time, obviously. Uh, we're going to need to see it, and this is how we feel about most LeBron teams, right? We'll see in the postseason, assuming they make it, uh, and, and see what they could put together. And Spain and Fitz, by the way, Spain and Fitz, uh, we're uh, 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 going to ask you a question uh, presented by Spain and Fitz Nation. You can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. We want to get to this later in the show, but Fitz, I was thinking about it today because it is already December 10th, which is insanity. Yeah. Um yeah, that because of the shipping issues in America and across the world, because of the supply chain stuff, if you have not ordered most of the presents that are, have to be shipped, you might be um, SOL a little bit. And so I've been trying in the last couple of days to like finalize every single thing and make sure if it's not something I can go shop locally and support a local Chicago store for that I have the order in. And I need some help because I am short on some people. So I'm asking folks if they have some sort of cool gadget, useful item fun present like what's something either this year maybe that you remember from a couple years ago that you've given someone and you're like oh if everyone knew about this they would get this for fill in the blank i I'm, i think we need to crowdsource i mean i'm I'm all in for ideas you know that that's a that's a, a really strong thing uh i'm trying to think if there's anything that that sticks out that's been like oh my god that's the world's best like world's best gift it's always so weird for me too because like when i was a kid both my parents cook so much that like the rule was never anything cooking related because that felt like too much of a chore, you know. But okay. now I like to cook, so I like getting cooking things for it. So I don't know. For like sure. I'm a little weird. Like I, I'm a little off the beaten path compared to a lot of people. I don't know. Is there like is there anything that you've put on the list that you want Brad to get you? Like you want to give your co-host an idea what he should get you for Christmas? Uh, I mean, I would say cooking. Like one thing I've gotten recently that I recommended to a bunch of people in recent years was a green pan. They are like extremely mm, yeah. easy to clean after you make stuff like eggs or things that stick. Um, there's another kind of pan that I recently got that like I saw the ads for and I wasn't sure if it was legit. And it turned out to be like, again, now I only want to use that one instead of all the old crusty ones that are impossible to clean. Um, mm -hmm. So like those things are always good. Um, I haven't really asked for much stuff this year. I tend to use books because if I if I know I want one, I'll jot it down and then it's easy to tell someone, you know, to buy it for me and I don't need it like immediately. Everything else I kind of just get when I'm like, oh, I need that. Um, but one year that we did have these like kind of wild, um, it's not a corkscrew, but it's like a wine opener that uses like gas, hydrogen or something. And so mm -hmm. it like slides, it, it's very fancy. And you put, like, cartridges in it. So it's kind of just, like, the thing to get people who have everything. Like, you know, people who have everything, and when they have guests over, they want to impress them with their fancy, like, you know, corkscrew. Uh, look, I'm all in for that. Uh, that sounds delightful and strange all at once. Uh, you can hit us like up at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. <laughs> which made things a little awkward because people didn't know what it was at first. Have I said too much? Anyway, I think if you Google it, OXO, corkscrew, you'll realize that, like, yeah, it maybe needed a little explanation. Okay, and on that note, uh, be sure to hit us up and uh, give us some ideas. Help me out. I haven't bought anything for Christmas yet. Coming up next, we'll bring in a former NFL player to get his take on the Steelers and the huge games from Week 14. That's coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Happy Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. If it's Friday, you know we'll be making our five pick Friday a little bit later. You can hear our we, picks for the big to? weekend games. Listen, you're screwed either way, but at least you can try to make up some ground with a good week. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Not likely. Not likely. Not likely is very correct. <laughs> We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, including our next guest, nine-year NFL vet, co-host of the Man to Man podcast on YouTube. It's Darius Butler joining us again. Darius, thanks for the time. 
Sarah, Jason, what's up? Thanks for having me. Well, we got a good one last night. We might not have expected much out of it, despite the stakes on the line, but went down to the to the last play, and Harrison Smith's peanut punch was the decider of it. First of all, what were you thinking as you were watching the Steelers' defense or lack thereof in the first half of that game? That was wild to me. The holes on that field. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was, it was wild is the, the perfect word to explain it. Actually. Was texting, so I texted Ryan Clark. I hit some other people like, "Yo, what is going on right now?" It <laughs> literally looked like, um, like like a practice, like scripted practice. Like they were handing the ball off. The holes were were wide open. Dalvin was getting to the edge whenever he wanted to. Justin Jefferson was wide open. It's like the Steelers went into the game with, um, I know it's a short week, but absolutely no game plan. Uh, for, you know, the Vikings star players, even with Thielen out. So it, it was terrible. The effort was terrible. And I was shocked that um, they actually made it a game, you know, as, as it went on. But that's the Vikings. If you've been watching them this year, if you've been betting anywhere mm-hmm. near them, that's kind of how it goes with them. So, Darius, everybody's talking about Chase Claypool and the mini celebration and the seconds it cost him. If you were his teammate, what would you have said to him? Oh, man, that, that that's, you know, you definitely have to have a conversation with him. Um, especially I think that's a conversation for, you know, his coaches, um, his vets, obviously his quarterback. Uh, it, I mean, that, that was just boneheaded because everybody knows on that team, regardless if you're a defensive player, offensive player, in that type of situation, you get up, you hand the ball to the referee, and you go get lined up. Um, so I heard someone say it earlier, that's something you're either coaching or you're allowing. So it's on the coaches. It's, it, it, it obviously is on him. But uh, that was that was just terrible. It had my blood boiling. Not only that, even you know they got a, an interception, you know, down three scores, and they're running to the other end and the end zone, still celebrating. I know it's different. It's a different area. Everybody's different. But I mean, it's just a lot of things that were going on. The early penalty that Claypool had, just a lot of things that that stacked up to make that moment bigger than it was. But um, that was that was a that was a bad bad moment. It looked really bad on Claypool, and then him speaking on it after. I feel like compounded it. I feel like it made it worse. So um, he was benched for a little while through that game. He's young. Hopefully he learns from a super, super talented player. So I love to see him learn and uh, grow from that. Darius Butler with us here on Spain and Fitz. Um, You know, there's been a lot of conversation about this Steeler team, and a lot of it has been former players saying, this is not the team I played for, or former opponents saying, this is not the team I lined up against. We don't talk much about Tomlin. He is sort of untouchable, and for good reason. He has been the coach there for a long time. He's more than earned uh, the reputation that he has as one one of the best in the league. But should there be more conversation about what his role is in a team that shows up and looks undisciplined and, and unfocused? Um, you know, anytime you're the leader in the, in the face of a franchise, you, you know, the finger's definitely going to be pointing at you, and, and rightfully so, um, in the good times um, and in the bad. And that goes for the coach, that goes for, you know, the GM, that goes for the quarterback. Um, and that, that's kind of what you're getting now. And I don't see any issue with it. Obviously, uh, Mike Tomlin has had an incredible career, uh, Super Bowl champion, never had a losing season. Um, he's done amazing things in that uh, head coaching position. So it's, it's nothing like, you know, I don't think he should be on a hot seat or anything like that. But um, it should definitely be some, some uh, conversation around what's going on because as a, you know, as a former opponent of the Steelers, knowing a bunch of former Steelers and current Steelers, it, it's not what you're used to seeing from the Steelers, especially in December and this time when football kind of gets a little more physical uh, you're making that run for a playoffs. So it's definitely it's, – it's foreign. And like I said, that's the only reason, like, 
I was even having those conversations last night during the game because it was so foreign. Um, so definitely something needs to get turned around and fixed there and uh, and fast because uh, it's Pittsburgh. It is the Steelers and uh, they're a prideful organization that's um, used to winning. We're talking to Darius Butler, nine-year NFL vet. You can check out the Man to Man podcast on YouTube. So Darius, let's look at some of the other teams that are going to be playing this weekend. What it, when you look back at Monday night for the Bills and the Patriots? What's your takeaway for where the Bills are right now? Um, you know, they're, they're, they're still a super talented team. And the thing about the AFC is it's wide open. So in that building, you know, you look around, you got a quarterback like Josh Allen, you got a coach that you trust, and that's been building something over there. You got good players all up and down that roster. Obviously, you lost uh, Trey White on Trey White, uh, Tredavious White on defense, who's a huge loss. Uh, but you, you still you still got enough in that locker room to to go all the way and represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. So um, even though you you've had the Colts come in there and, and, and out physical you and beat you up in your own house, you had the Patriots come in and do the same thing with the wild weather. Um, you're still sitting in a position where you still uh, control your own fate. So um, you know this weekend will be big. Obviously, they have another huge chest, test against the uh, Bucks. But I think they're they're all right in that locker room. Um, you know, started off hot. I would say probably a month ago, everybody probably had them at one or two on the power ranking. And um, you know, now they, they they've had some peaks and valleys, but uh, they they still can steer a ship. And when you have a quarterback as talented as Josh Allen, um, I think you always got a chance going into um, any game. Uh, no run game for them, right. which concerns me. And then um, having issues stopping that downhill running attack from opponents also concern me. But um, outside of the Patriots, uh, the Chiefs are getting hot and they're winning games. Outside of those probably three teams, um, I don't think uh, anybody else can really threaten those three, the Bills, the Patriots, and the Chiefs on that side right now. Darius, one of the teams that could use a, a win and isn't getting a break with their schedule is, you know, the Rams. They, they get the Jags, and that certainly helps them get off the schneid, but losses to the Packers, to the Niners, to the Titans, they need a win, and it's the Cardinals this week, Monday night football. What do you expect <laughs> from that Rams-Cards matchup? Uh, you know, I expect, the, I expect the Cardinals to win again. You know, the Cardinals have been impressive. Um, you know, and I, I think the Cardinals winning this game, um, it, it was just be more about them and less about the, the Rams, honestly. They've just been the more physical team in almost every game they've been in. You know, you get their, you know, Kyler Murray back in the fold. You get DeAndre Hopkins back in the fold at this point in the season. You, you had a chance for them to actually get healthy, hopefully. Um, Colt McCoy was able to lead him to a couple wins with this roster, so that shows, you know, the kind of job that Steve Commons done with the roster. And uh, Cliff has done a great job coaching him as well. So um, I think the, the Cardinals will win. And the Rams, you know, they, they look real suspect. Stafford has looked real suspect when he's had to play against good teams, good defenses. They beat up on the bad teams. But, you know, can they show up against the good teams, and especially this uh, good team with the Cardinals? Um, losing Robert Woods hurts this offense, hurts this team a lot, but they still got, you know, studs up and down that roster and a stud at the head coach position as well. I think it will all come down to how, how far can Matt Stafford uh, carry. And if I'm being honest, I don't have a ton of faith in Matt Stafford carrying him um, mm -hmm. the long, the long wow. route in December and January. Hmm. Well, Darius, if there's anything I know, you said the AFC is wide open, which means you think the Raiders are going to the Super Bowl. But if it's not my mm -hmm. beloved Raiders that get there, mm -hmm. if you had to bet one game between the Chiefs and the Patriots, as hyped as both of those teams are, which team is better in the AFC? Oh, Chiefs. 
Got to go Chiefs. Um, I think team top to bottom, coaching, uh, I would give to Belichick. But the the, the huge um, edge in the Chiefs' direction is, is Patrick Mahomes at the quarterback position. At this time of year, I've seen him do it since he's been in that starting role. And if you look in the AFC, I haven't seen Lamar do it. I haven't seen Tannehill carry a team, Herbert, Burrow, um, you know, any of these guys, I haven't seen him do it. Matt Jones, obviously, been a rookie. Um, I haven't seen them do it on this level. And the Chiefs defense last four or five weeks, they've been playing lights out. And that was a huge concern. They were on a historic pace on the wrong side of history to start the season <laughs> off. It bumped uh, Chris Jones back inside. And uh, I think a lot of things changed on that defense side of the ball. And it's only a matter of time, in my opinion, until that offense starts clicking. So if I had to bet on one team coming out of AFC, it will be the Chiefs. And then the team right behind them on that side, it would be the uh, Patriots. Yeah, Chiefs been, are doing uh, with defense, which year. is which is surprising, and just a matter of time mm-hmm. before Mahomes and the offense figures it out. Hey, Darius, thanks oh, for the insight. Worries. Really appreciate the time. Thanks, Darius. Hey, pre- appreciate you guys having me again. Always fun. Darius Butler, giving you the insight. Get in the zone. Brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Coming up, we're going to dive deeper in a couple more of those NFL games this week, and including an NFC East showdown. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. A couple more big games this weekend and Monday night. The Monday night game particularly interesting. Just talked about it really briefly with Darius Butler. Rams Cardinals, one of the ones we've got our eye on here at Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Let's talk about that game because, as I mentioned, the Rams had that stretch where they could not buy a win. They finally get the gift of the Jags, which helps them get back on track. Still sitting at 8-4, and four, but this is a Cardinals team that we have seen with or without Kyler and D-Hop be able to make mincemeat of opponents. Um, this is not only a good chance for us to be reminded of, of how good the Cardinals could be, but also um, this will really tell us whether the Rams fixed anything last week against the Jags or just got to play the Jags. Well, and, and it also show us how the Rams are handling what I think is a rising amount of pressure. You know, mm-hmm. and I think it was Stefania Bell the other day that pointed out on Fantasy Focus that not only have – uh, the the Rams gone in they've gone all in to try and win a Super Bowl right now and you know when you start talking about that level of expectation what they've leveraged to be relevant to where they are at this point you don't get the opportunity if you're the Rams to say well let's get things ready and and you know hope that we're playing well enough to make the playoffs like this is supposed to be a Super Bowl caliber team and anything less than that given as far in as they've gone is going to feel like some level of disappointment so the fact that we've seen Stafford particularly struggle in his career against good teams struggle this year against good teams does raise some questions about what they have there, whether or not they have enough, and the amount that they've given up to get where they are today. Yeah, to your point, their only two te- uh, wins with teams above 500 are the Colts and the Bucks, and the other six wins came against teams with a combined record of 17-54-1. and one. Mm. So they just, like you said, have not been able to step it up to beat the teams that would be impressive. They've just sort of beat the teams that they're supposed to and occasionally not even done that. So this will be an opportunity for them. And and the Cardinals have looked so strong. I think I accidentally uh, forgot about the Cardinals today when I was asked if the Packers are the most solid NFC team. For me, it's still the Cardinals. The Packers are up there, and they're absolutely pushing them. But the fact that they did what they did with Colt McCoy in there, the fact that Kyler Murray, of course, it was against my Bears, so it's not saying much, but was able to slide right back in after not playing since week eight and get a win last week. Um, That team is looking really, really good. Uh, Team not looking quite as good, or at least with some questions, is the Cowboys. Cowboys taking on Washington. We spent a lot of time sort of talking about the Mike McCarthy sort of guarantee. 
he slid into it more than said it definitively. There were no pauses on either end. He didn't say it with, you know, a declarative kind of flair. He just sort of, hey, we're doing this and people say this and we're going to win this week. And yeah. And we're like, wait, hold on. Did you just guarantee? Well, he, he got some flack for it, including from Ron Rivera, who said it was a mistake, not something he should do. Sounded like he was trying to convince himself and his team by saying it. This is what Mike McCarthy had to say to that. Well, I think like anything, we, you know, the conversation that we had in here yesterday, we, we were talking about a number of different things. I think when you come out of a bye weekend, I think just like comments um, that are made, you know, context is important. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes that gets lost, but it's irrelevant when anybody thinks, anybody thinks about what I said in here yesterday. I, I was talking about my team. I always coach my own team. So, and that's where I'm at with it. So we have great confidence uh, what we're trying to do. Uh, it was an honest answer to a question from a great group of people. It's interesting <laughs> when you say something into a microphone to be consumed by the public, and then you say it's really irrelevant what I say, and no one should comment on it. Okay, well, yeah. let's say it's your team behind the scenes. Uh, but beyond that, what do you actually make of the matchup? Yeah, well, look, nothing has looked necessarily easy at times for the Washington football team, and certainly I watched what was an ugly matchup against the Raiders last weekend. We all know that, but Taylor Heineke has completed 70% or more of his passes in four straight games. He's played really efficient football. Antonio Gibson has had good rhythm and been getting a lot of touches. When you start thinking about the way Washington is running things, like they basically just want to put themselves in a situation where they're not going to get destroyed in games, and then they find ways to win them. That's working right. for them right now, and and that's enough against Dallas. You know, this is a Dallas team that I believe is incredibly explosive and should win this game. But also, I don't know what to expect from the Cowboys week to week. Right, exactly. What's fascinating about the, the the Washington team is that we've mostly talked about them as if they've somehow their defense figured it out, right? Um, because they've had some success. But they really haven't. They've actually been less efficient in the last few weeks than they were before when they were losing games. They're still 30th in pass defense DVOA. Their rushing defense much better. It's 8th. And that works out well for the Cowboys. Their run game has been hurting, so it's not like they would try to really kill them on the ground. I think the last couple games, Ezekiel hasn't even been able to get over 50 yards a game. So if Dak's arm can tear them up and if they can beat them and take apart that passing defense, they're going to be fine. And, and, and the Cowboys should win. Um, it's just I think they've lost three of four, and it's just a team that we're still trying to figure out who are they. They started off so strong, we felt like we really believed in them. And then is, is this time for that Cowboys swoon? Uh, that will be left to be seen. Um, Washington not only winning games, but winning against good quarterbacks and good teams of late. So they're trying to take that momentum into that one. It's Spain and Fitz looking at some games uh, coming up this weekend. The final one, your Raiders taking on the Chiefs. Uh, maybe not as much of a good game in terms of potentially being competitive. No offense. But certainly has a lot to do with the playoff picture. Do we have to talk about this? Oh, I'm kidding. Oh, uh, wow. We're look, at that point now. I am. I am. Remember a few weeks ago when the Raiders were playing the Chiefs and I said it was the most confident I've been in five years. I am now the least confident I've been in five years taking on the Chiefs, especially for a Raiders team that's going to be without Darren Waller and uh, Perryman, their leading tackler. In fact, uh, the leading tackler in the NFL, I believe, still to this point. So uh, they're missing two of their best players in a matchup that they were already going to have issues with. And, you know, th there's a very simple way to see how the Raiders are going to perform 
uh, right out of the gates because in their losses in the first quarter, they averaged 2.7 yards a throw. In their wins, they averaged 10 yards a throw. If the Raiders come out aggressive, they win. If they don't come out aggressive, they lose. And it sounds so overly simple, but the problem is the only way you beat the Chiefs is in a shootout. And I'm not sure right now with this receiver core, without Darren Waller, with coming mm-hmm. off of what we just saw from Derek Carr, I don't know that they can manufacture enough offense to stay competitive, even if they can shut down this Chiefs defense, which or offense, I should say, which last time they played, they couldn't even sniff at. So, you know, I, I have a hard time finding a Raiders win out of this game. Well, it's kind of their last chance to make a playoff push, right? Or is it not so much a full must win yet because everything's so sticky in there? I haven't looked at the so couple sticky. games they have ahead. Every game they have left is against one of their playoff competitors. So they have oh. the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Broncos, the Browns, and the Colts left. So mm. if the Raiders are going to make the playoffs, it's because they beat playoff teams to get there. I don't think they can make the playoffs because I don't think they can beat playoff teams. It's, it's pretty simple in that. Like, can they make the playoffs? Yes. Will they make the playoffs? No. Wow. That's Jason Fitz, who did promise on this show he would never pick the Raiders to win anything ever again if they didn't beat Washington. So I'm uh, interested what happens with the picks later this week. Might might, might work out well for this matchup with the Chiefs. Uh, don't forget to tune into the That's What She Said podcast, hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade's proven formula is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Uh, We've got to get back to some college football stuff. In addition to what we talked about earlier, which is uh, Jim Harbaugh ending up winning the award for Coach of the Year, at least in the AP, Luke Fickle taking that award from Home Depot. We've got player awards. We've got a Heisman Trophy ceremony still yet to come. And Fitz, this felt like it was wide open all year, and yet we've gotten to the end here, and it seems like it's a one-man race, right? Yeah, I mean, the Heisman's interesting because it's been so difficult to try and figure out exactly who's going to win other than Bryce Young. I mean, that's it's just sort of just turned into the Bryce Young Award sort of by thanks to the way now. he played in the SEC championship. And that, to me, if, it, if it's that wide open, it shouldn't then be, well, you had one really great game, so that's yep. it, especially in a season defined by so many defensive players. We'll get an expert on to talk to us about it next. Who's going to win and who deserves to win? It's coming up on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And you can hang out with us on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. We've been asking you guys to chime in with what uh, Christmas gift ideas we could get. Uh, We're running out of time and I bought nothing. So I need some help. Uh, Also need some help breaking down everything there is to know about the Heisman. So we figured one of the right minds to bring on here would be ESPN's Matt Schick, a good buddy, and also host of tomorrow night's Heisman Trophy special, along with Trevor Maddich and Harry Douglas at 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Matt, as always, appreciate your time and uh, appreciate the work you've done all college football season on game day on ESPN Radio. It's really been spectacular, brother. So uh, give me your insights on this Heisman because we were talking about it before we went to break, and it feels like this could have been the year where maybe defensive players got some shine, some love, but it also feels like everybody's just giving it to Bryce Young. So what are you expecting tomorrow? Well, thanks for the comments, Fitz. Always good to be on with you and uh, and Sarah. I, it, it seems to be a foregone conclusion. It felt like a couple of weeks ago it was a two-horse race with the two quarterbacks, and then Michigan and Aiden Hutchinson happened there in Ann Arbor. Things changed. C.J. Stroud seemed to be eliminated at that point. Aiden Hutchinson, probably a lot of people watching, going, hey, who's this guy? Uh, I've got a vote. Maybe I'll go for him. And he has 14 sacks on the season, three in that big game, win the Big Ten, and then he's a finalist, and that probably wasn't a shock. 
Um, the, the defensive part of this is, is interesting, and I think as long as you have more than 900 Heisman voters, as long as the qualification is you have a beating heart and know how to use a computer, uh, that's what we're going to see moving forward, and that's what it's always been, being a quarterback award. And I don't know that that's necessarily a terrible thing because it is the most important position, arguably, in all the sports, is being a quarterback uh, on the team. And you see what Bryce Young has been able to do this season. Uh, look, there was thought about Jordan Davis. He plays you know, less than half the snaps. Um, there's talk about Aiden Hutchinson. Look, you got to make splash plays. You got to be, you almost have to score touchdowns when you're on defense. And and Dominican Sue, I go back to 09, you know, fifths and and what he was able to do. But it was really the closing argument that allowed him to get to New York when he had four and a half sacks as a defensive tackle uh, in that Big 12 championship game. So it's just, it's hard for defensive players to do it. It's probably not going to happen unless there's a Charles Woodson esque guy who, who also does some stuff on special teams. You know, the way you talked about that is is accurate, but does that seem fair that it's just basically, well, let's watch all season and then the last game or two, let's decide based on that. It, it felt like it was so wide open all season that now that it's down to just Bryce, it's like, how is that possible? Or, or for instance, you said C.J. Stroud lost on a game. Is that really how it should be decided is, is whether that person's team were in that one game? Well, no, but think about this. If you just reversed Kenneth Walker's games, Right. Same se- same season, but you just end it the way he started, like against Northwestern, 200 yards. You just flip it. He might win the Heisman Trophy, right? And, and so it's about what we just saw. And so at the end of the season, if you're, it's like a team making the playoff. If you're not peaking at the right time, if you're not having these huge plays or huge games at the right time, if the last thing we saw wasn't the best thing that we saw – then you don't have a chance. And for Kenneth Walker, the tough part is you give him six carries or whatever it was, 25 yards against Ohio State, and he lost the Heisman right there. And then he becomes the first player in history to win the Walter Camp Award and not be a Heisman finalist in the same right. season. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable that he's not a Heisman finalist. And frankly, you, you feel like we should change things up where it doesn't matter if there's a drop-off or not. He should be rewarded. Will Anderson should be rewarded. We should have mm-hmm. six guys in New York, especially a year like this. I mean, so what? what is the fix, or, or will it ever be fixed? I mean, it, it, the Heisman might just be happy with the way it runs. Is there a fix, though? Well, you could always switch the deadline and say conference championship games don't matter. Um, you could make it a truly, truly regular season award. Uh, you could forbid people to turn their Heisman votes in early. Um, you could do that, set it up as entrapment, where if you send in there early, you don't get it. The, you don't get it the next year. But um, it, there's just too many. It's just it, it's too many votes. And here's the other thing about it: there are too few spots because we can argue all day long about, hey, who would you vote for? Uh, how did he not make it? How did he not make it? We're mentioning five or six guys. You can only put three on the ballot. So I don't have a Heisman vote. But if I did, I know I'm leaving two really good players out. And so to me, I would I would say, hey, you got 11,000 scholarship FBS football players. Why not have the ballot be five players and see if we can you know, have some more finalists? But it is odd, Fitz and Sarah, that we, we are arguing about you know, who came in third and fourth and fifth. And six. We're not really arguing about who should win. It's more about who's deserving of that honor being a finalist. I think that's okay. ESPN's Matt Schick with us here on Spain and Fitz. He's hosting tomorrow's Heisman Trophy special along with Trevor Maddich and Harry Douglas. That's 7 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. 
Um, that's relatively new, and correct me if I'm wrong here. Didn't there used to be more finalists that were allowed to be not only finalists but to get flown out for the ceremony? Well, it's at least three, but there's always a drop off. There's they typically, and I don't know when they started it, and maybe you know more than I do about when they started. But it's always been when there's a drop off, a huge drop off in the number of votes right. that are received. So it's and not so, limited to four. Correct. It, you could have seven. I think the most right. they've had is at least, I want to say seven might be the numbers uh, that they've had. But because had of only allowing three on the list, that sort correct. of is what ends up resulting in limiting it. I wonder, do you think it means what it used to? Do you think, uh, and, and I don't know if um, the fact that it's become sort of a quarterback award, or, I mean, that's, it's, that's kind of always been the case, but do you think the Heisman has the same meaning that it used to? Uh, in a year like this, I don't think so. Uh, it's funny because we were having conversations. I remember Desmond Howard talking about it on game day on ESPN on one Saturday, maybe a week or two ago, saying, why do even made the argument, why are we giving it out every year? Why, hmm. why does hmm. it have to be the thing that we give out? We have to give out a Heisman every year. What if there's not a deserving team? It's almost like the, you know, the Baseball Hall of Fame, right? That doesn't have to be Hall of Famers every year. You can have a year, and I think they have, where they didn't induct anybody. And it went to the, the Veterans Committee or something like that in order to get get people in because writers didn't didn't vote them in. Maybe it's like that. I, I don't know. I mean, you look at the you look at the last five, ten winners. I mean, these are all worthy people. I just feel like it's a year like this where there's so much consternation and controversy about who – really, the story when the finalists were released was who wasn't invited to New York rather right. than who is likely going to win it. That kind of leads into does it mean as much. But I tell you what, when you get to the ceremony and you have all the past winners up there and you have the speech and you have the emotion, it still means a heck of a lot. I just think we like to argue about college football. God, that is the truest thing there. ESPN's Matt Schick joining us. Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. For anybody that hasn't watched a lot of Aiden Hutchinson, mm -hmm. I'm curious your thoughts as much as you cover college football. Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau are both expected to be high draft picks. Which one do you think makes a better pro? Uh, better pro, I would say probably Thibodeau because of his athletic ability. But I will say this. Um, it's funny you mentioned Aiden Hutchinson because in I, I was at Big Ten Media Days, and we were interviewing. I was doing some Sirius XM work. Uh, Sirius XM Channel 80, by the way. Uh, and we were doing some uh, chatting with the Michigan players. And it was Josh Ross, it was Aiden Hutchinson, and Hassan Haskins. And we were peppering him with questions about, hey, you know, what about last year, and how are you going to rebound all this? And the look in Aiden Hutchinson's eyes was the biggest takeaway that we had from our sit-downs with all of the teams in the Big Ten that we talked to and the players and the coaches. He had this look of, like, I can't wait to show you what we've got this year. He had mm. – and the whole demeanor of Michigan. It's almost like this – these you know, a kid who can't wait to show his dad this project he's been working on in the garage. Like, I can't wait. We have these naysayers here. We can't wait to show you. And there was this glean of confidence in all of them. And they were so eager to get the season going. They were the team that we left Indianapolis going, I want to watch that team. I can't wait to see what they do. Did we think that we'd make the playoff? No. But Aiden Hutchinson had something left to prove, and it was pretty obvious this year. You guys can check out tomorrow night's Heisman Trophy special on ESPN Radio, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Trevor Maddich, Harry Douglas, and, of course, ESPN's Matt Schick, who has joined us here. 
Matt, appreciate your time, my friend. Keep up the great work. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Appreciate it, guys. Good luck with the Christmas gifts. I'll get you something. Thank, oh, thank you. you. Appreciate it. Uh, Matt's brought to you by Goodyear. With you for every mile on the road to greatness, Goodyear more driven. I would tell anybody that uh, is an NFL fan that's going to watch the Heisman, the one thing you're going to see is a ton of highlights on Aiden Hutchinson, and they're worth it. Just sit back and watch them because the top mm-hmm. of this year's draft is going to be all about being able to rebuild your defense, rebuild it quickly. Hutchinson's going to be a high, high, high draft pick, and all you got to do is watch the Ohio State game and his 15 quarterback hurries mm-hmm. in that one game to get a sense of why. So, so what you're uh, saying is watch a lot of Michigan football. Oh. So watch mm-hmm. a, no, I'm, I'm saying watch a lot of the Sarah Spains, Michigan Wolverines. The, Sarah, like the Fighting Spains. The Fighting Spains. Does that make them <laughs> the Fighting Spaniards, or do we just go the Fighting Let's Spains? Do it. I don't know. Coming up, we'll get, uh, we'll get an update on what you guys are helping us with on the poll as we try and figure out what we should be getting for Christmas. Is, uh, I'm not prepared for this at all. Plus, it's a Friday, and that means it's time for Five Pick Friday for better or worse. Better for her, worse for me. We'll do all that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Oh, the screaming saxophone can only mean that it's a Friday (laughs) on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel. Ladies, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial, auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. Dot com. Now, we've got asked you guys for some help on some gift giving. And I'm I mean, curious is to say the word on mm-hmm. why so many of you guys are going straight to toilets uh, gift ideas, because uh, <laughs> at iPop editor hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, uh, giving us a suggestion of a toilet bowl light. Sounds crazy, but it's amazing when it's 2 a.m. and you're stumbling to the bathroom in the dark. Uh, OK, that's a good I, one for a bachelor, too. I feel like it's a little fe- different vibe. If a solo guy has like a neon glowing toilet, than like, uh, you know, a nice settled in family, maybe know. with kiddos, though. The kiddos would like a, a toilet bowl light, I bet. I, I'm pretty sure. If you go to somebody's house and you lift up the bowl and you see that it's like glowing in neon, you realize <laughs> that that person is into something weird. Like that's just so that, that's just the a next meth conclusion. lab that's been leaking in. It's like you, you know that person knows how to have a weird time. Like that's the person <laughs> that like whatever the line is, they cross it from the first suggestion. I'm just saying. Uh, also at Nick Nick Baker three one four hit us up on the Dr Pepper Twitter feed. Uh, coming in with the a bidet attachment. Got one as a gift once and now feel like it may be one of the best inventions ever. I didn't know they made it. Attachments like mm-hmm. the bidet is already like a negotiation. The first time you figure out that you're going to try it, I can't imagine an attachment for it. Like you'd have to warn your guests. Everybody would have to know it's there. I mean, I don't know. It feels. I've strange, actually heard but- a lot of good things about the bidet attachment. And Angry Bears fan Dad Man also said Squatty Potty, which is the third thing involving toilets. And I've heard a lot of actual good things about the Squatty Potty, which is a joke, but. And look at this, Untouchable Kaz, the potty putter toilet time golf game. Why Why are we making you all think of defecating? Is it the show? Is it an off night for us? What's I mean, going on? I'm just saying, by the way, Kaz, I appreciate that, but I'm not somebody that wants to sit on the toilet long enough to play 18 holes. Like, that's just Some not... Some of us don't have a choice, Fitz. I mean, well, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm a get in and get out I'm glad sort of things, guy. I'm like, glad things are working well for you over there. Thank, thank no you No need so much. to brag about it. Some of thank us spend so a, lot of, a lot of time uh, on, the, on the john. Well, you know what? I, I don't even know what to say to that. I... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I still Perhaps think we should maybe, make our picks. Uh, we should. Yeah, it's that time. I've delayed as long as I can. It's time for uh, pick five Friday. Giving you the picks that matter. I'll tell you, I think the Raiders are going to win this game. They're going to win a high scoring affair. 
And we're not talking Andy Dalton and Derek Carr picks. Try to wrap your head around that. Time for Five Pick Friday on Spain and Fitz. All right. You know what we do. By the way, uh, our good friend Mike Urinaga has uh, let me know he has a toilet light. Game changer. I Ooh. never would have expected that. The, the, you know, the toilet light things, people are going to come out of the woodwork now. We're gonna, they we're really gonna, are. You know, suddenly going to find out a lot about a lot of our friends. All right. This is where we have to pick games. And, uh, you know, I say it was such so a disdain defeated. in my voice because <laughs> I realize as the season goes on, I am not doing well in this. We give you the picks every Friday. Five games. Uh, we're just straight up. Again, not against the spread. Just straight up. Sarah Spain is 32-13 and 13 with her picks. I'm 25-19-1. and one. So mm. uh, this is not looking good for me. I'm going to need an epic comeback, which means I'm going to have to start getting aggressive in my picks, picking tougher games I don't think you'll pick because if we pick the same games, I can't make up any ground. But that mm-hmm. also means I'm going to need epic upsets to disrupt you while I get tough games. I don't like any of this. So well, I'll this go first. requiring some strategery. Uh, it is. It is. But we all know the one game we have to pick is our favorite team every week. And I've told you what I'm going to do the rest of the year. The Chiefs play the Raiders. We all know how this is going to go. I'm going to be done by halftime. Like, at halftime, I'm just going to go eat my feelings because the Chiefs aren't just going to beat the Raiders. They're going to embarrass the Raiders. The Chiefs are going to run, throw, and do whatever else they want to all over my beloved Raiders, and it's not going to be pretty. And I'm going to feel it all Sunday afternoon as I am reminded over and over again that there is not just a small gap. There is a large ocean between where the Chiefs are Mm. right now in the world and where my beloved Raiders are. Chiefs Mm. win by, I don't know, 30 Wow. Uh, Both because of strategy and because of uh, the way I think this game is going to go. I also took the Chiefs over your Raiders. Um, I wish for your sake that they had met a little earlier. They had gotten all their meetings with the Chiefs out of the way in time to have them not yet figure things out. Unfortunately, the Chiefs are figuring things out and they're winning even without... Patrick Mahomes passing and the offense clicking in. So uh, they've they've won seven of the last eight against the Raiders as well, which is uh, a useful statistic. I'm going to go ahead, <laughs> since, since we have to pick our teams, uh, you'll be sad all of Sunday. Uh, I'll be sad Sunday night because my team plays Sunday night, uh, which would be nice. You know, oh, your whole day doesn't get ruined. But the whole nation will be watching as the Bears absolutely get thumped by Aaron Rodgers. He most likely strolls uh, uh, up to various bystanders and screams I own you into their faces. Uh, It's not going to be pretty. There's not going to be much we can do about it. Uh, Again, I will focus just on seeing what Justin Fields can put together and make me think about the future. Yeah, well, I didn't pick this game because I'm not an idiot and I can't make up any ground by picking it. So I had to stay away from it, which is unfortunate. So I'll go, you know, usually I pick the side of game day, but now that the regular season of college football is over, I could get away from it. But there is one significant college football game this year that deserves attention this weekend, every every weekend, uh, every year on this weekend that deserves attention. I'll use my words. Army, Navy is such an incredible moment for us to recognize all of the amazing people uh, that are involved in this game. Also, Army's 8-3, and three, Navy's 3-8. and eight. Army's averaging over 300 yards a game rushing. They can run the ball on anybody. They're going to run the ball all over Navy. So, partially because I wanted to give the game some love, partially because I think it's an easy pick. I am picking Army over Navy, and uh, the one thing I am sure of is even if the game is trash, the unis will be spectacular. They always are for this matchup. Yeah, uh, that's a good one. I appreciate you doing that, and that's a good game to highlight. Uh, I'm sticking with the NFL. I'm going to go with our tried-and-true formula and hope that it doesn't let us down. I'm taking the Tennessee Titans over the 2-10 Jags. 
Um, Jags are at Titans. Jags currently 0-5 away. Uh, the Titans have not always been as consistent as I would like, but they can end a skid with the perfect cure, which is playing the Jaguars. That is a great pick, and I really wanted to make it, but I knew you would, and I can't make up any ground <laughs> if I do that. So instead, I'll go with the always easy game. I'm lying here. I'm taking Tampa Bay over Buffalo. Ooh. I had to go to the hard ones, and uh, mm-hmm. and look, this all comes down to momentum. Who has it? Who doesn't? When you've got uh, one of the best uh, passing defenses in the league, uh, touchdowns allowed in the Bills, versus one of the best passers in the league, touchdowns uh, thrown in Tom Brady, uh, every time that's worked out, but one, it's gone advantage offense. So I looked at a little history there, looked at a little momentum. I think Tampa Bay beats Buffalo, plus I didn't think you'd pick that game. Uh, you're right, I didn't pick it, but I was tempted Ooh. because I agree with you. I think that's a good choice. Uh, I don't think it's a sure thing, though, so that's why I stayed away. And instead I went with the Chargers over the Giants. This is a uh, just another one of those where you're just like, well, let's see, the Giants are trash, the Chargers are inconsistent, but they're a much better team, and, you know, uh, I just want to stick with the the stick with the date that brought me here. I, I, that's an analogy that I ruined, but that's what I'm going uh, with. Keep picking the easy ones. I'm going to go yep. Dallas over the Washington football team. Uh, I don't Ooh. trust Dallas, but I also don't trust that Washington football team against an actual cap- capable offense. So tough pick. I agree with that. I do think it could go either way, though, even though Dallas is in a good position and should win. I think the Texans are tanking now, and I think that's wise. Uh, So I think even though the Seattle Seahawks haven't been good, they do still have a shot at the playoffs, so they're going to beat the Texans, who are playing for nothing but a draft spot. I went Saints over Jets because the Jets stink. Oh, I almost did that. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you got one left? That's it. That's it. We only have one game the same. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.